You see these cufflinks here? They're made, of, they're made of 24 karat gold. There's 50 grams of gold in each one of these cufflinks. And the reason why gold is a store of value is you can melt these cufflinks down in a thousand years. And then you can take that gold and use it to make a computer chip or a cell phone. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. This is your co-host, Pierre Rochard, here with my co-host, Michael Goldstein. Michael, how are you? I'm doing well. It's been a while. Yep, yep. Um, we we tried recording a podcast and we ended up not talking about Bitcoin at all, so we scrapped it. Um, but um, maybe if uh, maybe if we release like an album in twenty years, we'll have that as like one of the secret tracks or something. Yeah, hidden away. Like you have yeah. to listen to the final track, and there's like twenty minutes of silence. Yep. If you endure that, you get to hear us rant about. I don't even remember what we were ranting about. We were talking about Bitcoin culture and stupid stuff like that. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, that that won't be getting released. But uh, today, we're not going to talk about things that are not related to Bitcoin. Uh, I say that yet. The first thing I wanted to talk about is not related to Bitcoin. Um, you know, a true story. Uh, they're a San Francisco-based startup. Um and I recently, like today, saw this thread. Basically, they were trying to figure out, um, you know, so-and-so has, has made XYZ statement about Bitcoin, about Ethereum, about any kind of crypto-related thing. Uh, let's fact check them, basically. So it's basically like Snopes for crypto, which is, is fine. Um, I mean, we can debate whether Snopes is any good or anything like that. <clears throat> it's but, <not. laughs> it, but the concept makes sense to me of like, of course, of course. Let's, yeah, let's dig into things. Let's let's get the truth from the uh, separate the, the truth from the lies. Um, anyway, so uh, the founder of True Story said this. I'm giving up on the pursuit of truth, which I think is probably one of the first things you should do in life, but um, I guess here we go. <laughs> uh, in favor of something more pragmatic, uh, creating a safe space to debate, um, which I'm a huge fan of. I, but we're I, already entering like a, a sort of uh, contradiction here, or at least like in the sense of what is the point of debate if not to pursue truth? Okay, so here here would be my argument. Uh, oh well, so um, because well, you can have a values debate that doesn't really have any uh, truth to it because you're talking about ultimate ends uh, and and their relative merits, right? Uh -huh. So like you could have a debate um, about whether uh, leisure or work is better for your soul. It's like well, all right, that's not. I, I don't think that you're gonna get uh, an objective measure of truth out of that sure sure um but I, I what i found interesting about it was creating a safe space to debate which is like i i i did uh debate in high school and i think that the um huge advantage of the word debate is that you're implying some kind of structure to it and uh, as we know discipline equals freedom so if you apply structure to a conversation, then you're going to be able to uh, be free to express your arguments in a more coherent manner than if you're just uh, degenerating into insults uh, on Twitter, which is often what happens. Um, and really, I think, though, that 
the reason it happens is because you can't uh, suspend someone's account because they did not provide a substantive rebuttal to your argument, right? Like you can say something and then you expect a, a counter argument, but the person instead just, you know, either comes up with a new argument that's completely unrelated to what you were discussing, or uh, they will engage in ad hominem or ad hominem, ad hominem, <laughs> or no, the ad hominem fallacy fallacy. Right, uh, which is extremely common. Very common. Uh, but in, in any case, so I, I think it's it's noble. Um, I hope that they, they find out about uh, the rich tradition of debate in Western. Well, I mean, I think that throughout the world there's a rich tradition, but I'm more familiar with the Western tradition because it uh, turns out <laughs> I'm part of that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it goes back to ancient Greek philosophers. So uh, I'm excited to see uh, crypto people um, you know, learn about things that uh, precede this decade, uh, which is very hard for a lot of uh, a lot of modern people. I don't know. History started on January third, two thousand nine, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's true. Uh, for a lot of people, though, history started with like the first season of Survivor. You know, like the or which was or, to be fair before my history began. So. Yeah, they they actually have a a deeper cultural understanding than me, the Bitcoiner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, you know, we we we've studied a good amount of money. Well, hey, I mean, if you start a... with Survivor, you're starting with the Robinson Crusoe economy. That's so you're, true. You're getting the full extent of like human civilization. You build up from that to maybe uh... that was a terrible example. Maybe I should have <laughs> picked something more more inane like the bachelorette or something you know like a reality tv show anyway um enough about that so so that's exciting we're gonna have more debate um because uh, it's i think that I, I i strongly believe that if we have a um good faith debate about uh any of the topics in crypto uh bitcoin just uh, comes out shining so uh, I'm fine with us, you know, approaching any of these topics with some level of rigor uh, beyond um, memes or or what Vitalik does. Anytime I try discussing things with him, I, he inevitably <laughs> starts going off about, how, well, um, you know, Bitcoin Maximalist said this at one point, and it's like, all right, uh, did you want to talk with me or did you want to talk with like, the straw man that you are engaged with all day long. I guess the question I have for you is someone yeah. who, you know, has engaged in, in rigorous debate, not just like in the, the Twitter sense, but in like the actual, you know, kind of academic you know, sense. A lot yeah. Of, yeah, you've done, you know, Lincoln Douglas style debate. Yeah, but like not that. a lot. Like I never went to like nationals or anything. Like, I, I didn't even go to like state or regionals or anything. I was, uh, but, but you, I, you, I, you I learned experience. it. I learned the craft. Yeah. You have firsthand experience yeah. actually dealing with that. I can't say that I do. Yeah. Um, what are ways in which uh, you have to protect uh, a debate from not being a safe space for debate? Oh, uh, so step number one, uh, the participants uh, do not get to choose which side they will be representing. Uh, okay. So they have to prepare both the affirmative and the cons. So they, they have to... Uh, or the negative. Um, so they have to know both sides inside and out. 
They have to know what the steel man arguments are, what the star man arguments are on, on both sides. Um, and then who, which side they'll pick ultimately is just like a flip of the coin. So um, I think that's step number one to, to making it safe. Um, otherwise, you, your ego gets wrapped into uh, one side or the other, which obviously we see all the time uh, in crypto. Yeah. Um, although, although one one downside of yeah. that is uh, it assumes that the other person uh, or yourself um, is capable of making that steel man, uh, which perhaps you are not actually capable yourself or the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And like in a in a debate tournament, you'll end up uh, representing both sides. Uh, you know, when you're debating different people. And then there's a judge who actually has like judging criteria and, and will see holes like that um, if they're a good judge. Uh, mm -hmm. But the other thing, too, is that there are no judges uh, in, in on Twitter. So, um, you know, you could argue that there are there are a lot of like uh, observers and third parties, but there's no one making a determination as to who won or lost. Um, and then the, the other thing that's really important in debate is uh, defining the vocabulary ahead of before the debate. So like right, there right. has to be a period where we're just focused on definitions. Uh, don't really do that in, in Bitcoin. I, I've, I've had so many conversations just in life where you spend way too much time just defining, you know, a, a completely innocuous term. Uh, and it's extremely frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's important uh, to, 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 to do it. Um, and it, if the person is engaging in good faith, you're going to come up with a definition that will, will be, uh, you know, satisfactory to both sides. Um, now, uh, I think the other thing is that you have to, um, you have to be able to put forth like different arguments. Um, and so you put up, you put up argument one, you put up argument two, you put up argument three, and then the other person comes up, they rebut argument one, they rebut argument two, they rebut argument three. So it's a multi-threaded process that, that mm. you're engaging in. You can't do that on Twitter uh, because the, it's single-threaded. And so you, if you're trying to make a, a nuanced argument that has several different prongs to it, um, and so it, they're, they kind of all depend on each other to come to the, same, to the conclusion that you're coming to, um, then... The person can just nitpick on one of them, or you know, not not engage in the stronger ones or whatever it is, and it just spins out of control. Right, or or you're trying to make a forty tweet point, and they get hung up on seventeen and just go at that, and without even seeing eighteen through forty. Yeah, though I would argue that if you are if you're in in a debate and you are filibustering, you are losing the debate. <laughs> so. Uh, you should be able to be pretty concise. Uh, right, I agree right. with so, your point. Yeah. So, so perhaps, I mean, the point there is just like, if you have a 40, 40 tweet point, uh, you should find a different medium. Maybe medium.com. Medium. Yeah, it's in the name, right? Um, <laughs> medium.com. Uh, or do you, do you think there is also any benefit to uh, anonymity? You know, do you think a, a website like True Story should be uh, using real names uh, pseudonyms or uh, not even having that so that you're forced to just put your ideas out there without reputation? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think that pragmatically, in order to have people involved, 
you have to let them have an identity and build up reputation. Uh-huh. And unless you're going to like pay them, they're going to want to use their real names because they're going to want to essentially, you know, build up their expertise. Excuse me. Um, yes. Although it, some notable exceptions. Yeah. Well, so like, I mean, I'll, I'll name the notable, notable exception, which is like, uh, kind of like the, the 4chan world. Yeah. Um, and I have, you know, heard stories from, from friends who spend more you know time on, on 4chan and other dark corners of the internet. And they told me how one time there was, there was a thread on a topic and they were trying really hard to put out the arguments against it. And mm-hmm. at some point they lost the debate. So they uh, like went to a new browser, so it gave them a new ID, and they immediately just you know started making fun of their own posts because they they recognized that they lost. Um, yeah. So this dynamic, I mean, it, it's probably on the extreme end in terms of uh, you know likelihood and and uh, you know how how often this actually happens, um, but it does strike me as. Uh, valuable to have some types of anonymity um, in these things. It also, it's an interesting philosophical question. I actually saw the Bitcoin rabbi uh, put out a tweet that's very, um, very close to what we're talking about, which is that how excited would you be about Bitcoin if you personally were not allowed to own any? Mm -hmm. Uh, So how much is skin in the game worth it? So same question of how much do you care about these arguments if you personally are, or, and if nobody can attach identity to the specific arguments, do you care about these arguments so much that you'll be a proponent of them and that you'll 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 defend them and you know could come up with evidence for them, uh, even if you don't get any of the credit personally? Um, I I don't know that I would personally. Uh, I I because the reason I wouldn't feel so strongly about defending these arguments. It's because I think that the the economics of them are so overwhelming that it doesn't really matter uh, if if they have a rigorous defend in the mar- defense in the marketplace of ideas, um, right? Which, which is a very interesting point. Uh, which is more like you you are trying to arbitrage on people's uh, lack of knowledge, uh, so so we can channel it towards your own ends. Um, in this case, if I, you know, building up that reputation, but generally speaking, Bitcoin's just going to go on. Yeah, for sure. And I would argue that like any, any money with its monetary policy and, and it's the credibility of it, you know, from the technological underpinnings is going to keep going on. Uh, and you know, whether, but same, same thing with like gold or fiat. Like I, I don't know that, um, the, the gold commission or any of the debates about the gold standard uh, had any effect on it. Um, I think that it was just all driven by technological developments in, in fiat money printing. Yeah. Meanwhile, we still have people, you know, in Cato and whatnot who sit around writing, you know, fed policy proposals while simultaneously smack talking Bitcoin to it's, some degree. It's pretty hilarious. Uh, and I also like, I don't think that like, um, Peter Schiff or Nouriel Roubini or, you know, people debating these things on, on, on a, in a public area is going to um, affect the outcome. Now, well, like, to, because when I think about, and okay, so now we, we can move on to the next topic now that we've beaten that to death. Um, 
I've made a number of tweets that were really just trying to get back to the basics of uh, just buying and holding Bitcoin. But uh, it turns out that's actually really controversial. People think I'm pumping up a, a Ponzi scheme here. Um, yes, well, you're committing illegal acts, according it, to some uh, yeah, detractors. Some, <laughs> some legal commentators have suggested <laughs> that it might be a felony to uh, to suggest that someone purchase a commodity and then hold it <laughs> rather than consume it or resell it. Uh, it's very controversial. Yes, uh, all, all water tower operators ought to go to jail. Yeah, or any kind of warehouse facility. Uh, oh, also all of those like um, storage facilities where uh, hoarders go and, and leave their crap. Oh, like um, a retina center kind of place. Yeah, exactly. All of those are committing felonies because they're encouraging people to just buy things and just hold them. What I'm doing that's wrong is that I'm telling people to buy something that's scarce, right? Uh, normally, you're supposed to buy <laughs> things that were shipped from China that are cheap plastic, and then you put them in a storage facility. But I think they got a kind of strange interpretation of Marie Kondo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so, yeah, I don't know if we want to talk about why Bitcoin's not a Ponzi scheme. I feel like I, this is something I've been asking people on Twitter lately because I I do wonder it myself. Is this their first time debating it or do they want to just rehash the debate? Like, Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point because, you know, that that's such a 2012-2013 uh, argument. We've talked uh, about Bitcoin being a Ponzi for a very long time. It's been yeah. You know, next thing up is going to be oh well, then you know what about the regression theorem? Yeah. Um. And but at the same time, you know, if someone has you know honestly, you know, they're new to Bitcoin and they they took a, take a look at it and they they have that impression, you know, that's a legitimate question to ask. You that's know, I, that's why I, I ask. You know, like. <laughs> Do I need to provide you with resources or 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 are you just trying to waste everyone's time by making the same arguments again? Um, but uh, there was another one. There was a, a crypto fund manager who uh, quote tweeted me. Already said, a bad sign. I know, right? Uh, said something along the lines of um, uh, Bitcoiners assume the sale. So we already assume that someone is going to buy Bitcoins and then we're just like, providing advice on, 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 and I was thinking to myself, like, well, I mean, if you've been, if you've been successfully selling Bitcoin for half a decade, I think that you've earned the, the or you're entitled to assume the sale at this point. Isn't, it's isn't like, that also sort of like tactic? Like, isn't that the first thing you learn? Well, you, okay. In- but I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to do it as psychological manipulation. Like, I want people who are, are buying Bitcoin because they understand the fundamentals of it and, and they're doing it for the right reasons, not because I assumed the sale. Uh, but I I also... Right, think, right. But I, I guess what I'm getting at yeah. is like, so we earnestly believe in Bitcoin. We're not just, we're not just like making things up. So it's right. like, if, as, as someone who believes in Bitcoin and I'm trying to pitch it to someone, isn't that, isn't that marketing 101 or, or sales... 101 of just like assume the sale yeah um all right so we have a listener here asking us are y'all answering questions yes we are so if you have any questions well you uh, already reached your quota right well yeah he's for your, done for your one question because he actually asked two questions he said 
hello, are y'all <laughs> answering questions? So that's two questions. So you're above your quota. And, but if, if someone else, anyone else has a question, we'll be ha happy to entertain it. Um, I'm just rambling on about things that triggered me on, on Twitter this past week, uh, but we can talk about more interesting things. Um, oh, okay. So now the, the other thing that really triggered me, Michael, was uh, Justin Sun uh, bought a lunch with Warren Buffett um, and paid a, a paltry, a de minimis amount of four and a half million dollars for the privilege, um, which I, I found to be like, part of it is distasteful in, in the same way that like lighting a pile of money on fire would be distasteful. Even So if, he, did he pay Warren Buffett four and a half million dollars? He goes to a charity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Although it would be funny if Warren Buffett was like hyper capitalist, like, no, you're going to, you're going to pay me. But then it's like, all right, why don't you just do this lunch more than once a year? And then you can really rake in the money. Right. Um, I mean, I can, I can understand someone like him, you know, valuing his time that highly, especially when it's someone like Justin's son. Yeah. I mean, how much, here's the question yeah, for you, Pierre. Yeah. How much money would Justin's son have to pay you uh, to, to take out? Me about Tron <laughs> and about BitTorrent. <laughs> well, um, I don't think I'd do it. Honestly, I, because I've had, I've had situations where um, it's not a one-on-one -on -one lunch. It's, it's some kind of thing. And there's, there's a person that's pitching me on their altcoin and like, I'm pretty good about like ducking out of that and going to the bathroom or going to get another drink. Yeah. You know? Um, if I had to actually sit there for two or three hours through the infomercial, I don't know that I would be able to survive. And so I don't know that uh, the, um, you know, in terms of my, my family, uh, you know, the, the life insurance and all this, like, I don't mm -hmm. know if that pays out in this situation. If I get, if I kill myself due to an altcoin pitch. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it'd be worth it. The only thing I do like about that lunch is it was like a steak, a steak lunch. Oh, was it? Oh, I, th I assumed that it was like uh, Warren Buffett's like standard Dairy Queen burger lunch. And you know, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Diabetes. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, even that, there's no, you know, there's no beef in the world that's going to cost, you know, quite that much. I actually like even like the nicest like 5a wagyu beef yeah, yeah. that's gonna be you know what like a couple hundred that, a pound yeah yeah you're, you're, not, you're not eating a pound of that like, yeah it's so fatty so yeah um yeah yeah no i, I mean i'd pass I, I saw you you had a, a tweet about this about like you know would you have lunch with warren buffett or would you have uh lunch with you know a dozen developers oh no no hold on i didn't say lunch with a dozen developers hiring a dozen developers to go work on Taproot for two years, which is what it would cost, right? Four and a half million right, dollars. Right, right. Okay, okay. Um, and so we could, we could, you know, do a lot of advances on Bitcoin uh, for a relatively, well, I mean, for the price of a lunch, um, which to <laughs> me is a little crazy. But at the same time, you know, people will be like, oh, well, it's genius marketing that, Justin's going to have lunch with Warren Buffett. 
And then Warren Buffett afterwards, he's going to um, like, what are you expecting? You're expecting him to be persuaded by Justin or are you mm. expecting? See, I don't, I, I think you're missing the marketing pitch here. It's not yeah. about persuading Warren Buffett. It's about being able to put in the news cycle that he had lunch with Warren Buffett. Yeah, I don't it, know that that I'm news very, cycle, that six-hour news cycle might not be worth $4.5 million. Oh, I don't think so either. It's it's very short-term signaling. High-time preference shitcoiners at it again. And if, and if you would just... Think too, if you just you know bought four and a half million dollars of Bitcoin, uh, and then well, waited a number of years. Presumably, Justin has a good amount of Bitcoin already. Like I don't, th- I, I I hope that he has way For more than four sake. and a half million dollars. Otherwise, he's a real dumb dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of doing an ICO is to get other people's Bitcoins. If you don't have any after the ICO, then you've really screwed it up. Um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what, what was on my mind. Uh, but other than that, I've been thinking a lot about, um, kind of what, like going back to basics of what drives people to start accumulating Bitcoins, because Mm -hmm. there's a, I think that there's like a lot of narratives where it kind of assumes that everyone's got the same motives and everyone's got the same reasons for doing things. And, and thus everyone has the same uh, marginal propensities to do X, Y, and Z hold or consume or whatever it is, um, which is all kind of crazy. And then one poll that I liked was that it was like, do you only hold or do you spend and hold? And it was like 80% of people only hold 20% spend and hold. And to me, that's that's just like perfect Pareto ratio. And I don't yeah, really yeah. see any kind of issue with that, uh, given where we are in the evolution of Bitcoin as a money. I'm also curious, you know, what, what kind of things does people actually spend on? So what, what gives them enough value? Is there a certain uh, good that they can't get elsewhere? Uh, is there just like a certain type of merchant that they like um, supporting because they support Bitcoin? Um, cause for instance, you know, I, I can understand supporting, like, uh, I can better understand spending money at a merchant that actually supports Bitcoin, uh, the, the community, the development, et cetera, et cetera, um, than a big company that just takes the Bitcoins, uh, sells it for dollars and is like, you know, d- doesn't care at all. Um, right. Yeah. Cause there, there is going to be more endogenous, uh, growth. Um, so it'd be interesting to know what what exactly motivates them to spend. Um, so because you know, as surprised as people might be to to hear us say things like this, uh, you know, I can understand people have their reasons. Everyone has their time preferences and preferences. And well, you also just might not have a choice, right? So mm-hmm. if if you um, you can be doing spend and replace, and the reason you're spending is because the store doesn't accept dollars because for whatever reason, and it might not even be nefarious reasons. It might be as simple as they don't want to deal with your information about your credit card or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's also, you know, the the side of it where you have people who they they make their living in bitcoins, and so they have to spend bitcoins in order to survive. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. Um, but so, as far as the motivations, I, I can't I can't find the tweet right now. Yeah. Um, but there had been someone uh, tweeting about a friend of theirs 
who years ago had started buying bitcoins to um you know buy pot online or whatever and uh, over time they came to just want to save and hold their bitcoins yeah that's funny i think that it's 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 a very dynamic system and it um when when i say oh you know we should buy and hold for someone who has played this game zero times uh that does sound like i'm just promoting a ponzi scheme for someone who's played this game like the nth time they know that's the winning strategy so <laughs> like it's kind of like a um in game theory they talk about like learning between games so like there is actually a solution to like the prisoner's dilemma if you play it repeatedly uh that you you do end up uh not defecting both sides not defecting if you play it repeatedly um i th i think I, i'm not a game theory expert but i thought that's that that was uh that was the outcome that that theoreticians came up with um and i think that yeah with with bitcoin the outcome is if you can you you hold um mm -hmm. i mean obviously if you can't you can't um but uh there's no like winning move where you um for ideological or um oh what, what's the word i'm looking for um kind of altruistic reasons you go out and you spend your bitcoins uh thinking that hey i if i could go and buy shit that i don't need uh from this website uh, I'm helping Bitcoin circulate, and that's increasing the value of Bitcoins. Like that's you not get a, the the circular economy. Yeah, you know the patty bucks. The, it's the, exactly, the, it's patty, patty, the patty bucks model of of Bitcoin. And, uh, so I actually yeah. I found this tweet, and it turned out like uh, the person hadn't been buying Bitcoins before. They just like they stopped smoking pot so that they could spend the money on Bitcoins. Sober up, get a job, go go spend the money on Bitcoins. Um, low time preference. Yeah, I think though the other thing too is that if I say buy bitcoins and just hold it, don't do anything, you know, I'm for someone who's high time preference, like that's inconceivable. They're like, what are you talking about? I gotta go spend it on my weed. Like, there's no way I can let this money burn a hole in my pocket. It's like it's it's alien to them the thought of like, and and you right. hear um, you hear normies. Uh, so my wife's a financial planner. And she has studied this concept of uh, money scripts. And so people have different money scripts. And so like an example of a money script is uh, money doesn't grow on, on trees. So there you're talking about the scarcity of money, how you have to earn it, how it, it takes hard work, right? Um, another money script is you can't take it with you. And that money script is about, it's against savings basically. Um, and it obviously has an element of truth to it. Um, but you are uh, psychologically trying to reinforce a, a high time preference and rationalizing it with this money script that, uh, you know, under any amount of scrutiny, it falls apart pretty quickly, which is that, uh, yeah, you can't take it with you, but you might have unforeseen uh, expenses. You might have uh, medical expenses. You might have uh, all sorts of different, uh, you might want to retire early. Uh, Life can you. Yeah, you might, you might want to consume more later. Uh, that's um, so uh, you forego present consumption for more future consumption. Perfectly innocuous, uh, but for someone with the you can't take it with you money script, they end up frittering away their money, uh, you know, throughout their lives instead of ever mm -hmm. saving it up for, for more. Uh, for me personally, I mean, I've definitely noticed a change in my uh, sort of consumer habits, or, or or at least my my perception of 
consumer habits. And over time, it's just like a learning process of, you know, at some point, you just, there's a stronger feeling and part of it might just be that I'm getting older, but, uh, that you, you get something and you realize it's just not, it's not as valuable as you think. Um, and I've, I've noticed this and you do have in the back of your mind is like, how many Bitcoins did I give up for this? Um, which, you know, represents not only like, you know, material goods in the consumer sense, but also, uh, material like security. Right. Um, and, and earlier, you know, you were saying how when when someone, you know, first gets into it, they they think, oh, buy and hold. That does sound like a Ponzi. Um, I've had this happen before where people hear, you know, my side of the story where it's the whole like, you know, hodling and, and um, you know, how, how the monetary policy leads to, you know, global domination and all this. And they're, they're a little like, I guess they're like uh, incredulous that like, you know, everyone will start doing this. Um, but of course, you know, on the one hand, you know, you've written in speculative attack about how, you know, most people will kind of be forced into it by, you know, economic circumstances, like, you know, your dollars are no good here anymore. Um, but the other thing I tried to explain to them also <laughs> derived from your staff is like all of those investment theses. And what I try to explain is like the actual reason that people get into Bitcoin um, may be completely different. There's a gazillion reasons why someone might want to get to Bitcoin. I'm merely saying that the end game of that fact that so many people want to get into Bitcoin for so many different reasons and the fact that it has uh, this particular monetary policy leads to this economic condition I'm describing of hyper-Bitcoinization. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. When, when people want to simplify it, they're like, all right, but why? Like, what is the point it's like scarce <laughs> like i i don't know what else to tell you uh, it's, it's scarce money <laughs> yeah, it's, it's money brah money yeah. imagine <laughs> dollars except they can't print more <laughs> what, what, what do you want me to tell you um anyway uh and then and then it, it gets mocked as like number go up you, have you seen that yes yes i've seen this with the the grug memes often yeah. With like you know the dented kind of uh, meme uh, caveman guy, I, I think that it's frustrating for intellectuals to have to like accept this as as the uh, shelling point, as as like the killer app, because they were hoping that it would be something like super complicated or you know voting on the blockchain or something else, anything, anything other than hoarding Bitcoin uh, <laughs> as, as the... Um, yeah, although the sad thing is that I, the people I see doing that most tend to be from, uh, you know, different communities of Bitcoin forks, where they're kind of making fun of Bitcoiners for thinking, oh, well, your, your coin might be going up now, but ours is the future. Well, what's bizarre to me is it's like, all right, well... Which is it? So are you, because you're saying that like BTC is outperforming, let's say BSV for the sake of argument. <laughs> um, and and that uh, that's fine, but over the long term, BSV will outperform BTC. But that means that you have to get more people to go buy and hold BSV. But you're also mocking those people who have that behavior 
So by what mechanism do you ever expect to be able to outcompete BTC if you're alienating people who are interested in just accumulating the asset passively and not, um, you know, uh, actively engaging with it by uh, creating a video game where every move is a transaction on the blockchain? Oh, it's it's deeper than that. The MetaNet is going to save us all. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so today, uh, Apple released a new Mac Pro. Um, it's got 8 to 28 core Intel Xeon processor, which is pretty awesome. That's, that's really nice. It has uh, up to 1.5 terabytes of ECC memory. Um, that's still not enough to sync an Ethereum full node, but... Uh, it's still pretty good. Um, and, uh, you know, the graphics cards, I don't really care about because we're not mining. Uh, but I think that this, for someone who has way too much money on their hands, this will be a great lightning node. <laughs> They're just going to have to uh, splurge on it. Uh, I don't I don't think they came out with a price yet, but I think that it'll be like, you know, the usual Apple pricing of ridiculous amounts of thousands of dollars. Yeah, I still haven't looked uh, at everything that came out. I just saw people complaining about various prices of, you know. I, I, like, I people get that... the memo. There's there's high inflation going on. Get get a money that can keep up with Apple prices. <laughs> I also think there's also just like a, a letdown of, you know, a, a lot of the improvements aren't seen as, uh, as great of improvements as in the past. Yeah, I mean, Moore's Law is dead, but um, I do think them coming out with a Mac Pro uh, because they they had stopped or they had stopped like improving the old one. It was that like the tube version. I don't know if you. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I use like an old MacBook Pro, which is probably worth like five hundred dollars at this point um, uh, that I got from a em- former employer. <laughs> so, uh, I'm in the Mac ecosystem and. If we have more uh, developers, you know, who are in the Mac ecosystem because they're doing AI programming, here's here's the brilliant part. It's like they're doing like their AI machine learning stuff, and they're using an IPython notebook, and they're like contributing to that ecosystem. And I actually benefit from that, you know, tangentially. Uh, that's what I love about open source. Like people working on completely different projects end up helping each other out. Anyway, so if they have Mac Pros, that's good for me. That's, that's yeah. the only point I was making. Um, yeah, so nothing else going on. Uh, you know, price go up, price go down. Uh, yeah, uh, I made the mistake of, of mentioning to someone that I saw. I happen, I happened to see that the price went up when it briefly went over 9,000. So now I was like, you know, asking if it was still at 9,000. Yeah. I'd begrudgingly say no. Uh, at the same time, I, I like I really don't pay attention much, um, which which I think is the mostly good way to do it. I only want to hear positive price news. Yeah, although you're going to end up hearing negative price news as well, and then you just won't hear everything in between where it's not that interesting uh, as to what's going on. Um, but I do think that, like, and I've always maintained that the, the price oscillates around the fundamental value. And so the price can tell us a little bit about where the fundamental value is. Uh, although it, like, yeah, there's, there's no way to, 
to know for sure. Um, Someone then, in the chat just mentioned that uh, price crashed when we came online. Coincidence? Probably it's, not a coincidence. And it's no. We want to give the noted listeners a uh, sale on Cash App. Um, no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Michael, they're still not sponsoring the podcast, so let's oh, hold off oh. on that. Uh, <laughs> we might have Kraken sponsor the podcast. And the other thing, too, is that when I came out with the last version of the node launcher, that caused the price to go up. So I think that something else I've got to do is release a new version of the node launcher uh, to drive price up. Um, and what would be the, some of the next features you're working on? Uh, well, so master branch already has a uh, tour in it. So uh, I do need to release that. Um, that's been dragging on because tour adding tour caused a refactoring of configuration handling, which caused a lot of bugs, uh, which, um, and I got so frustrated with the configuration stuff that I like put it aside and was like, all right, I'll come back to it later. And then a very awesome uh, uh, open source contributor called Manuel Costa uh, came along and he's been, he's been kind of, um, he's been contributing to, to the node launcher for a little while now here and there. And uh, he's doing a big refactoring of the configuration because he sensed my frustration and is coming in to, uh, relieve my pain, which is, it's nice when your open source collaborators are also kind of like your therapists and they're <laughs> like, all right, I understand this part here is annoying you a lot. Let me handle it. And then you can get back to the other stuff <laughs> because you do, you, you burn out on stuff. And especially if you are the full stack plus product guy and you're like, you, you, you'll get stuck on something where you do need someone else to work on it. Um, and you have that at a company, but you don't have that necessarily when you're working on an open source project, unless you have an awesome contributor like Manuel. That's fantastic to hear that uh, you have that going on. Good community. Yeah. So um, how many contributors do you have now? It's been quite a few. Yeah. I think like four or five uh, solid, decent sized contributions uh, from different people. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a pretty, it's funny. We were talking about different ways of taking care of the configuration problem. Um, something that I want to do in a next version as well is um, have Ride the Lightning uh, built into it, kind of, where you can uh, click uh, open Ride the Lightning. And, it, and um, I got this idea from PG Admin because when, in PG Admin, you can click like open and it opens a web page. So you can be doing web browser stuff and it just has a local web server running. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that'll that'll be the next version of the node launcher, and that that'll cause the price to go up. Good. Uh, yeah. Keep keep working. Yeah. Now the other thing we really need is having Tor working really well in iOS. So I was disappointed to not see that announcement from Apple. Although Apple actually they had uh, interesting privacy related announcements. Like um, they've got like a throwaway email service now, which is interesting. Nice. Yeah. Um, so and it's tied to an identity, but it's like pseudonymous still um but you can have like it, all these emails go to one inbox uh and you can just create a bunch of email addresses that are random uh is my next iphone going to have a bitcoin node um probably not but your next htc will so you've got that going for you all right tim if you want to keep me around i, I only buy a phone every like as many years as possible between as i can <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I wonder what would be a. I I don't know. I I would I would actually. I would Apple to run a full node for me um, if it's just my walking around money. And so, yeah, or or just connect it to my node. Well, they should just they should build they should build a uh, you know a Bitcoin and Lightning wallet into Apple Wallet that yeah, connects you can, your that connects to your full node uh, well, or yeah, or an so Apple node. The yeah the the that that's where you need to have Tor so you don't have to do the port forwarding and stuff. Uh, yeah, or I I've been I have a zero tier on my phone as well, so I can connect to my my. Uh, Computers right. without without needing that, uh, which is really nice. You're still using a trusted third party, though, right? You know, I'm not totally mm. sure wh- how how data flows through them. Nick Zabo listens to this podcast, so I think that he's going to be disappointed by that answer. But that's okay. I'm we'll, sorry, Nick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, Nick. Um, Please forgive me. <laughs> I I'm sure he will. Uh, so let's go to the actual Q and A uh, spreadsheet, which is woefully. We have it up on the website, but um, the we had like a burst of really good questions at the beginning, and then uh, we, the, the the questions kind of trickled off. Um, a lot of them became uh, people trying to uh, advertise their shit coins on our. Yeah, which on is, our podcast is which I get, which just shows that you're not listening to the podcast that you're trying to market on. Yeah, it's a little, a little ridiculous. The the uh, amount of money that we're going to expect and the kind of questions you're going to get in return for that money, you're not going to like. It. Our listeners will love it. Yeah, yeah honestly, you're probably better off that. buying lunch with Warren Buffet. <laughs> this is that's one of my biggest pet peeves is people uh, misspelling his name as buffet instead of buffet uh, <laughs> and the difference between those words is that buffet has two t's at the end so like jimmy buffet and warren buffet they have two t's and two f's buffet has two f's and one t um and it's every- the french thing look it's it's the american spelling it's not i i get the buffet is from french uh, but so is email, you know, and uh, and you still spell it the French way. Um, but I also, if Warren self-identifies as a buffet, then he can change his last name. But he hasn't done that. So in the mm. meantime, I think we should extend him the courtesy of properly spelling his last name. Now, I have this bias, which I think that if someone misspells Bitcoin or like they capitalize the C in it, which... We can talk about this latest trend, but um, let's say they're doing this or they're misspelling Warren Buffet's name. In my mind, what it tells me is you have read very little about this topic because you have not internalized how this keyword should be spelled. And thus, I'm not sure I should be listening to your opinion about it. Right, right. It's it's one thing when um, it's okay. So a couple of things like. One, there's been times, I'm sure you've had this, most people have this, if they they read a lot, there's a word that they read a lot, and then when they say it aloud, they say it completely wrong because they never were talking to people about it. They're merely reading totally and, fine. and thinking about it. Um, In fact, I admire that. That shows that you are very well read. Very yes, well. but this isn't that. 
Yeah. You know, this is especially in the age of, you know, Google, you know, it doesn't yeah. it it does not cost like pretty much any time or bandwidth to just do a quick check. Um you know what the worst was, Michael? My own wife. I I wrote down lightning and she goes, Is that how you spell it? Because <laughs> there's not the E. Yeah, I was like, Oh, you're one of those people. <laughs> It's the uh, the lightning network. It's enlightening yeah. us. Yeah, I, I I I forgave her, but it came very close to a divorce paper. Well, you're nicer than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, my my wife's a, a great person. She has other redeeming qualities, <laughs> not related to her her lack of having read about the lightning network. Um, <laughs> she has she has heard me talk about it enough to where I think that. Uh, she could actually explain it to someone. I, I should test her. I should do an ideological Turing test for her husband. Uh, I mean, you did a good job uh, describing the money scripts. Yeah. You know, I, I, I listened to her podcast, so I, kn- I know what she says. Yeah. And uh, you did a pretty good job. So That's um, good. Uh, everyone go subscribe to the Money Owners podcast. Uh, it's hosted by uh, Morgan Richard. And uh, she's, yeah, she's recording an episode tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, well, I think it's an important podcast for uh, Bitcoiners to be listening to because if you are hodling, you know, you need to be hodling smart. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because, like, if you read um, Mises, you know, he'll talk about or Mises. Where, where are we? Which pronunciation are we going with? We're talking about. I say Mises. Okay. Because I think that's Mises. the proper proper uh, German pronunciation. Ludwig von Mises. Um, so he will talk about that was more you know, like East East German pronunciation. <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe they need Mises more than Western. <laughs> um, but in any case, he'll talk about like ultimate ends and uh, you know applying the means to achieve them, and then the entrepreneurial process of like adapting and then having a profit or loss uh, from uh, this uh, entrepreneurial act to to meet some ultimate end. Um, And I think, though, that, like, humans don't reflect and think about what the the ultimate ends that they are aiming for ought to be. Mm -hmm. And they kind of just accept it as a given of whatever the culture or family or um, you know, education, upbringing, whatever you want to call it, whatever they were handed, uh, is the correct ultimate end to be going after. Um, and so I think that uh, people need to like take a step back and t- question that assumption rather than uh, just living their entire life based on it. Right, and you know, additionally, I mean, uh, so many sort of various uh, self-help type, you know, books and stuff. So many of them focus on, you know, doing like a weekly planning session and stuff like that. And I think that's for a reason because it forces you to reflect on these things so you can, you know, step out. And it's like, even if, even if you do just simply accept um, the, the scripts that you're handed, you know, some of them, they might actually be completely correct. Um, If, if you have them, you should still stop and like, think, am I actually on track towards that script. And do you need to like emphasize it even more than you have been? Do you need to take it even more seriously than you have been? Like, 
you might, you know, your parents might have, have uh, raised you, you know, saying um, uh, penny wise, pound foolish uh, is a good money script. And so it's like, all right, well, have I thought about, you know, do I need a house that's this big? Because that's pound foolish. Uh, whereas like, and then I'm trying to like cut costs on like trying to find a gas station that has uh, less expensive gas, you know, like people, people are that way. And, and if, even if you accept that that saying is important, like maybe you're not even applying it that well to your life and you need to, to take it more seriously. Yeah. Uh, you know, this also reminds me, I, I'll, I'll tie it to Bitcoin. Oh, at the end. We need to change it, by the way, we need to change it to a Satoshi. Satoshi wise Bitcoin foolish. Yes. <laughs> Why are we even using a pound foolish still? I don't know. There's no, no well, maybe we're talking about uh, weight units on the blockchain. And so maybe a, 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 a kilobyte is a pound. And so okay. you're byte wise kilobyte foolish. Or was it talking about pound in terms of like an English pound? Oh, yeah, yeah. A penny and a pound. Oh, oh! Why aren't we doing penny-wise dollar foolish? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that. What, what year because, is this? Well, part of it is because language moves more slowly than monetary equilibria, <laughs> uh, and so that's why we still call it the dollar, even though it has no gold in it. Which this this brings up something. Um, I, I was I was getting into a Bitcoin discussion re recently, and there there were questions around, you know you know, what, what would people be calling this and that about the Bitcoin network, especially if there are certain interesting uh, changes to the network, uh, which is a totally different topic. But there's all these questions. And the, the most common one is, you know, which which uh, thing do we call the, what, what unit do we go with? Do we go with Satoshis? Do we go with millibits? And I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, we t I take what you just said very seriously, which is like, you know, language language develops after the fact it's a way for people to describe what's happening around them um what, what, what i find hilarious and i think we discussed this before is the people who complain about how there's coin in the name bitcoin <laughs> it's not a coin why is there a coin in the name it's like all right <laughs> it's not even a real coin it's yeah. just a ledger is, is this is this like a perennial problem every time they get on their computer and they they open up Safari and they're like, I'm not going on a Safari. I'm just surfing the web. Why is it called Safari? This, this is at the beach, not the... <laughs> I'm this surfing. Should be called web browser. It shouldn't be called Safari. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I think language will be something that develops after the fact. Also, um, Michael, why do they call it a web? It's not a spider web, okay? It's just like, it's a network. They should call it the inner network. <laughs> Reminds me of that old video about arachno capitalism. I, I'm not familiar. <laughs> There's a guy just not understanding. Like, why would you call it arachno capitalism? <laughs> like, the, the spiders—they don't have much of an economy. Yeah, well, they have Australian economics <laughs> in arachno capitalism. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. Do we have? Hey guys, just heard your interview with Kelly Rosenbaum. Love your podcast. Uh, this is someone asking to come on. Okay, I'll, I'll reach out to him since he's being nice. I thought it was a legit question. Um, 
Um, okay, here in, we go. In the oh, do you have one on the the spreadsheet? Yeah, this is a good one that is ties into kind of what we're talking about. How do you guys think about allocating your savings between Bitcoin and fiat denominated investments, stocks, bonds, etc.? So, right off the bat, I want to tell people that the reason I can go on Twitter and tweet out what I do about Bitcoin is because there are no laws against it. I can <laughs> I cannot make the same tweets about Tesla. I would get arrested for like uh, illegal securities manipulation or something. Um, <laughs> but because Bitcoin, it's like if I go on on if I go on Twitter and I say only eat ketchup, <laughs> like <laughs> no, I can't go to jail for saying that. Even though you can say like, well, my husband followed your advice and he only ate ketchup and then he recently passed away and I'm holding <laughs> responsible. Totally unrelated. Well, I'm not going to be charged with uh, manslaughter. Like as much as some people on Twitter think that, you know, I would have some criminal uh, um, liability. On the other hand, if I tell someone to go buy uh, shares of Tesla and to only buy that, well... Then I'm putting now. Uh, no, I'm not doing that. I'm providing this as an example for whoever's at the SEC listening to this. I'm not saying that someone should do this. I'm saying if I said that someone should do this, uh, then I could. I could. And and they lose all their money off of it. Uh, then I could get investigated for you know trying to scam people uh, by selling a security or whatever, promoting a security. Um, and and Elon Musk got in trouble for this, where he said that. Uh, funding secured, you know, we're going to be able to buy out Tesla and take it private. And it caused the stock price to pump. And then the SEC was like, uh, well, you lied because you didn't have the funding secured and you caused the price to pump. And so we're not, we're not happy with that. And so he, he got in trouble where he has to have a securities lawyer look at each of his tweets. And that's why he ended up tweeting Ethereum. <laughs> because uh, of of the fun question of whether it's a security or not. In any case, um, so all this to say that I don't, I don't want to talk about what, how much you should allocate to stocks or bonds because those are regulated securities and uh, it's really, it, it, you got to hire a, a, uh, someone who's uh, certified by the state uh, to uh, deal with these questions. Uh, like my wife. <laughs> so uh, it's also part of me scamming you uh, and saying that you you have to hire my wife to get the answer to this question. Uh, do any of the state certified people advocate investing a lot into Bitcoin? And if not, is there something going on there? Define a lot. <laughs> into Bitcoin? Uh, well, define a lot. Like one percent. Oh, oh, I mean, I mean, like a, a like go all in on Bitcoin, significant portion, yeah. Like hundred percent Bitcoin, um, Mr. Hoddle style, or you know, yeah, yeah. Like if 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 there was someone with uh, very certain market knowledge, you know, that Bitcoin was going to rise. I, anyway, I'm just saying that there's a conflict of interest with state certification. Oh, uh, um, I yes and no, like. I think that the, the 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 problem is that well, you know, I actually I, I would argue that the state certified people their their issue 
is it, like the reason that they don't recommend Bitcoin is not due to their state certification or them having concerns about losing their licensing. Uh, it really is due to the fact that they themselves are not super educated on it and super confident about it. And so just as there's a lot of Bitcoiners that are like, yeah, I, I own Bitcoin. I only own Bitcoin. I'm very enthusiastic about Bitcoin. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to like people in my family. Like I don't go to mm -hmm. Thanksgiving and tell people to buy Bitcoins because I don't, I think people should make that decision on their own. And, and so that's, I think that's the, um, that's kind of the attitude that, or, or at least from a legal perspective, that's like what they should be thinking about is yeah, whether it's yeah. suitable for their client. No. That, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, I think that the stronger argument, if there's one to be made would have to do with just the, the opportunity costs of various, various education. So for instance, you're describing how, you know, all of these things are registered securities and it requires a lot of knowledge to be able to know how to navigate all of that. Um, and if you're spending all your time doing that, uh, you're not going to be learning about other opportunities that might exist uh, in the world for your clients that come out of left field. For sure. Uh, and then there's different kinds of financial advisors too. Like, like my wife's like a financial planner. So she's not out looking for investment opportunities for people. Um, she unfortunately has to deal with people coming to her uh, with investment opportunities. And she's like, no, that's not a good idea. To do. But uh, she, you know, her, her <laughs> your room is, first. Yeah. Uh, but then like, like a hedge fund manager is going to be seeking out opportunities uh, actively. And there, I definitely agree that, and this is the problem with someone like Warren Buffett is that like, their mind is 100% tuned to finding opportunities that have like cash flows, you know, that have like a business and equity and a capital structure to it. So they're not used to even thinking about like currencies per se. And then the currency people, they're not used to thinking about a currency that's growing, appreciating in value. Like the currency traders are are usually trying to figure out like what's going down faster than the other currencies. <laughs> like uh, it's it's never uh, what currency is going hyperbolic <laughs> up. Um, so yeah, it's I think that uh, no one in the traditional finance world has like the perfect background to to deal with this. Uh, I think that we we come a lot closer than they do. Um, you with your computer science and Austrian economics background, uh, me with initially just my Austrian economics, and then eventually I tacked on. Um, I I still know very little computer science, but <laughs> I know enough to get myself in trouble. Um, and that that background is probably better for understanding. But the thing is that like, we're not going to find the next opportunity, right? Like, I, I don't think that we're going to, you know, do great off of Bitcoin. And then the next opportunity in AI is like, we are able to capitalize on it because uh, we have such a fine radar for finding the right investment. You know what I mean? Like, Right. Uh, we had, we just got lucky that, uh, what a time to be alive where we're, we're, we're hey, I'm, trying to I'm trying to find interesting things out there. I think I, I've, I think I've been successful. All right. Um, well, I hope you did not invest in a Vitalik's quantum computer. No, just, uh, just investing in meat, filling my fridge with meat. Oh, right. That's, that's yeah. But Michael, you're, I I'm not going to, I'm not going to be making my millions off that. I thought the maximalists were 100% Bitcoin, but what I'm hearing is that you also own some meat. 
Yes, well, true maximalists don't eat at all. They're breathitarians. Yeah, I mean, but only because air is free. Uh, if we lived in a world where air was monetized, which, by the way, Aircoin coming out next year, doing an ICO, we're going to be we're going uh, to put the air. world into you know space balls. Yeah, we're going to be buying and, cans of air, Perry air, to to sniff. Imagine how much money we can make by tokenizing the most abundant resource on Earth. It's <laughs> th- it's really the biggest untapped opportunity out there, um, but uh, we're going after it anyway. Uh, in any case, uh, yeah, so you're a hypocrite because you're not really a maximalist, but let's keep uh, reading this person's uh, follow-ups to his question. It says, as much as we Bitcoiners boast about stacking sats, I think, well, we don't really, I don't know about boasting. Anyway, I think it's important to acknowledge that the likelihood of full hyper-Bitcoinization is still remote. So I... Can, can you, what, what word was that that he used? Uh, the likelihood of full hyper-Bitcoinization is still remote. And what the reason I, I, don't, I, I don't even think that we have to debate about the odds of full hyper-Bitcoinization. All we have to debate about is... is I'm not going to be... I'm not concerned about the if, I'm concerned about the when. Well, okay, let's put that aside. To me, the question is, all right, have we reached a ceiling of adoption today? Like, uh, th- that's all we really need. To, if, if, if no, then Bitcoin's going to outperform for at least another cycle. Uh-huh. And then we can reevaluate. Maybe we reached a ceiling at 200 grand, you know, and it's like right. this digital gold or whatever that people hold a little bit of, but it doesn't really go beyond that. And it ends up not, you know, doing full hyper-Bitcoinization or like, and so on and so forth. And so like, I think that even if you don't think we're going to have full hyper-Bitcoinization, but you think that there's going to be a little more adoption uh, because Bitcoin is so scarce, a little more adoption still moves the price way more than the stock market or bonds are going to move. So um, already, I think that you're making an argument for Bitcoin outperforming uh, traditional assets. And then just a little bit of, uh, you know, magic sauce you need to throw on there is just that uh, when currencies compete, there is no equilibrium. Uh, yeah, so I think, though, that we could debate that, right? Um, because... People will, like with gold, for example, they'll say like, yeah, governments were moving that along. You know, like the, there there was an element of American imperialism promoting the gold standard uh, and, and European imperialism promoting the gold standard. And that if we had a truly free market that uh, this historical, but I think that like people, um, people ascribe more magical powers. And it's funny how like libertarians become charterless. Uh, when, when they say that, like, well, the reason that government currencies are are you know competitive with gold is is only because of they they collect taxes or the, it, they're designated as legal tender or something like that. Which to me is like, all right, well, you're you're doing the same fallacy of the Charles. Um, right, I think that does ignore you know the benefits of you know lower transaction costs when because you you did with fiat you do get you know a a. Well, I mean, this could just be a historical uh, anomaly or whatever, but we did get, you know, the rise of digital currency. Yeah, well, so here would be the argument that I would make against the people who say that gold 
became dominant and the U.S. dollar is dominant due to government intervention. Is that okay? Well, show me a government intervention that uh, created a multi-coin uh, world. And so every time we see this, uh, we have Gresham's law, and like well, you know, whether it's with silver or you know, bimetallism mm-hmm. or any other kind of dual currency system, it always falls apart. So right. um, that is an argument for why the free market does tend towards uh, one one money, and uh, and we can assume the sale. Uh, Unfortunate for uh, the crypto fund managers out there trying to peddle their shit coins, but uh, that's the reality we're facing here on, on planet Earth. Right. So I, I stand by my statement that um, if if you can buy the argument that we have not reached the ceiling of adoption, uh, you have to then really just keep pushing that forward and see, you know, think really hard where would that ceiling of adoption be? Um, and with Bitcoin, ultimately, I don't see anything but uh, full hyper-Bitcoinization. Yeah. And then the one of the arguments that you could come up with would be that what if there's something we're not seeing from a technological perspective where there's going to be like a bug in it that mm-hmm. causes it to collapse entirely? And that to me is like, all right, that's still, that is uh, less of a risk to me in my mind than investing in a lot of these other assets where it's like, all right, you bought a house. What if, uh, you know, it floods, there's a tornado, it lights on fire, you know, like there's always going to be contingencies. And then, and then you have to weigh them on a relative basis of like, all right, all things equal, what's the lowest risk? Um, I, I think that Bitcoin's pretty competitive there. Yeah. Anyway, that's me trying to sell this uh, Ponzi scheme that I'm very passionate about. Should, we, we need to do, uh, you know, uh, informational sessions on uh, Bitcoin shilling. Yeah. Yeah. How to maybe, effectively shill Ponzi's. Well, <laughs> we wouldn't want to give ideas to altcoiners, but at the same time, <laughs> We could help a lot of people. Uh, be like help. Glenn, Glenn, Gary. What, what is it? Uh, yeah, like it's a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even saying that, but yeah, coffee's uh, closers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, be doing that, uh, but with Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, they do have motivational speakers. So I consider like uh, Safedine to be a Bitcoin motivational speaker <laughs> who does training seminars. Uh, and to to the bankers all over the world. Yeah, just to like central bankers and yeah. <laughs> well, it's like it's like doing the uh, Tony Robbins shtick because Tony Robbins likes to antagonize people a bit to kind oh, of break it, them out of out of their out of their shell and out of their you know the mindset that they're stuck in. And likewise, Safedine likes to go to these people and really uh, you know shake them out of their their uh, banker mindset rattle them you got to rattle them <laughs> like if you say that Keynes was a pedophile enough times they start <laughs> thinking for themselves <laughs> nobody talks about this <laughs> um yeah anyway uh let's not talk about Keynes too much otherwise we'll get censored because it's just not an appropriate topic of conversation um yeah. So what what else is going on in, in life, Michael? Do do we want to wrap up the episode? 
I mean, it's it's been over an hour now. Um, yeah. It's mostly the same old, you know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to bring up any kind of like uh, JavaScript development I might be doing for uh, fear of hostility. That's all right. Uh, yeah, oh. I've been I've been uh, doing some um, exploratory uh, JavaScript programming. Uh, so, have you heard? There's these new. There's a new generation of frameworks that there are always based, every yeah, two weeks. I know that are based around GraphQL. I don't mm. know if you've messed around. I'm with familiar that. with GraphQL, yeah. So uh, that uh, sit on top of Postgres. Um, and so there's like three different ones that I've been uh, playing around with, um, and they're they're all very like they're just trying to make the back end really easy for front end developers. And so uh, you that you don't have to worry about like creating a REST API with Flask. Um, it does a lot of that CRUD type work for you. Um, right. So I've been playing around with that, and also, uh, yeah, that 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 might end up being a part of a project or not. But um, what yeah, I do want to do is rewrite LightningPowerUsers.com using one of these frameworks because right now. It's built with artisanal uh, raw JavaScript using like the built-in WebSocket um, and uh, a artisanal um, AsyncIO WebSocket server on the back end that is like, it, it, I, I basically was like, all right, how can I maximize the amount of tech that, that I take on doing this uh, just so I can get it done as fast as possible? But it works. Uh, it opens channels to people. So, uh, from, uh, web web sockets can be a pain. Yeah, I actually, I didn't mind it so much. I, I found the back end, the the back end server for the web socket to like be a little of a bit of a pain in the butt because really I should have just created a simple REST API. Um, but yeah, I was trying to be cool and fancy in real time. Yeah. Which is what Lightning incites you to do. Yeah, I've been mostly uh, playing with like uh, hardware wallets, so it's been a oh, lot cool. of fun. Oh, cool! Yeah, I I just got a cold card and I still haven't opened it because uh, is it one I'm, of the new ones. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I I haven't been able to play with mine yet, um, but I did get my new one uh, in the mail recently. And uh, thanks, Rodolfo. Rodolfo is just such an OG. Awesome guy. I will say a quick anecdote about the horrors of JavaScript is just, you know, working on a project um, and I was trying to uh, find something with one of the libraries I installed. And uh, I think I I forget the the command, but there's a command to list all of the, all of the libraries you've installed, kind of like pip pip freeze. Right. Right. NPM. But if if you don't specify a depth of zero, it prints out the entire tree and you just see how many just like gazillions of libraries have been installed just to run this stupid app you're working on. Um, and it's, that, it, it, it's, it's absolutely horrible. I was just today watching a lecture that um, Eric had posted on Twitter um, about like how to, you know, uh, you know how to keep civilization from falling apart and it was this uh software guy talking about just the the massive complexity that has entered you know software engineering and we have so much bad software engineering um 
And what he argues is part of it is just we have faster hardware so people can get away with just not having to care about things as much. And this just like works its way down the entire infrastructure of software. Um, and now, yeah, I end up in this world where I just have a, you know, pretty, you know, straightforward React app, but there's, you know, gazillions of, of dependencies written by people. I have no cl clue who they are. Um, I'm sure there's the left pad or whatever it's called in there somewhere that's going to break one day. Um, yeah, I, I think that, well, so you basically, we need people who go in and refactor dependencies. And so who figure out like, oh, here's this little library that has like four lines of code. It's kind of related to this other library. I'm going to merge them together and we're going to like do this a million times. And then eventually we'll have like, um, the good old days of jQuery with just one monolithic library. <laughs> uh, no, but like something more reasonable. And uh, but someone needs to be incentivized to do that. No one is, and uh, it's just continuing to get out of control. My proposed solution is something that I've actually talked to Giacomo about uh, before, which is uh, tech monasteries. Hmm. And so when Bitcoin moons. Um, and we can operate with more low time preference. We can we can pay people to become tech monks and hide away in a wonderful location. They'll have uh, you know a nice a nice place to stay, plenty of food and all that, and they'll get to work all day on solving massive uh, computer science problems or or other things like yeah. recreating these these base. Because yeah, it's interesting, issues. like, if you talk about, all right, um, I want you to build a website and you have two days, you're going to pick very different tools than if I told you you have two years or mm -hmm. 10 years. Like, if I yes. told you, like, you have 10 years to build this website, then you can be like, all right, um, so I'm not going to build a web server, I'll just use Nginx, but... I might build my own web framework, like from scratch, you know, like you. Right, that does things exactly right. Yeah. But if you also have that much time, uh, you're going to find probably some standardized things uh, that you can do that everyone will be able to benefit from. Yeah. Um, that can that can act as these these layers of the infrastructure. So that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> uh, that's wishful thinking, but um, I like where your head's at. Hey, I feel like. I have a much more um, cynical view of how this is going to get solved, which is basically like uh, monkeys in a typewriter. Like we're just going to have so many software developers that eventually someone's going to be like, Hey guys, I just came up with, um, you know, my, my PM, uh, my, my package manager, and it's not shit. Uh, <laughs> here's why. And like they've laid out from first principles how to build a, a package manager, such that there's there isn't this dependency hell. Basically, the Satoshi of package managers will arrive. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it it's just, like a numbers game. Like if you get enough software developers like monkeying around, someone's going to write it. Yeah, there's a couple. I mean, and this is regardless of of my my positive vision or your cynical vision. Uh, there's the problem of getting people to actually adopt it in the first place. And there's the issue of, in the meantime, all of that complexity and bad software engineering is still permeating 
every aspect of our lives and businesses and et cetera. So the economy just gets filled with these, with bad, bad software. And okay, the, there's the more and more dependency hell. The, the counter argument though, is kind of like uh, the free market argument uh, or even the uh, bizarre argument of like, you're, you're just saying that you want to build a cathedral. Um, and maybe we just have to accept the NPM bizarre. Uh, yes, that could be the case. I don't, I, I think there's, there's, uh, oh, and that the more people exploit NPM and put in, you know, they, they steal Bitcoin because they put in a bug in NPM, some deep dependency, then like, yes, a bunch of people lose money, including maybe you and I, but that will cause the system to evolve in a more secure direction. Uh, yes, I think that uh, as you describe it is probably more of a false dichotomy between the cathedral and the bar- bazaar than I would set forth. So like with the with, you know, if you have a monastery, I mean, the idea is still completely open source um, and has more to do with uh, cultivating that individual slash group. Um, that produces the thing in the first place. So in your case, your cynical view, well, who, who is it that's going to produce um, the my, my PM? And it could be like you have the guy or group that had 10 years to think about it and finally set it forth. It's like, how, how, do, you, how do you cultivate that to, to right. enter it into the marketplace? Right. Not well, necessarily to control the marketplace. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Hmm. This is going to need further thought. You know, uh, one... We must I, I study like, the monasteries. Yeah. Maybe... Hey, just just yeah. one more thing. is yeah. like, look, they said Bitcoin is a religion. We're going to have to start taking it seriously. Yeah, I, well, I I'm agree. taking it seriously. Join me. Yeah, I find it disturbing when people... Oh, excuse me. I'm getting tired. I, th- that means we need to wrap up the episode. If I'm yawning at my own thoughts, <laughs> when when people don't want it to be a religion, I don't get that. There's so many advantages to being a religion. Um, anyway, uh, especially the the best advantage have, of it being a religion is that uh, you can abandon having to engage in critical thought, and you can just mindlessly repeat dogma like one BTC equals one BTC. Hey, assume the salvation. Yeah, assume the yeah exactly. <laughs> assume the indulgence. All right, good night. Uh, thanks everyone for for listening to another uh, uh, episode of Noted, where we answer very few questions and but we ask <laughs> quite a few. Yeah, and uh, for those in the chat and for everyone else, if you do have questions that you want us to answer, you can go to noted.org/submit. Um, a couple other things, by the way, I should probably mention that we are closing in on a location for the SNI dinner. Uh, and uh, with that in mind, we're going to be doing the KYC, the Know Your Corner stuff uh, very, very soon. Um, so we will start rolling out um, you know, information to people who, who pass that in. There is limited seating, so hopefully we'll be able to get everyone in. Um, uh, if not, it's still going to be a fantastic weekend with many, many events, um, with the SNI dinner just being one of them. So I would still highly recommend making your way out to Dallas 
on the weekend of August seventeenth. Uh, awesome, and we have a listener here in the YouTube who has one question, so I'll, I'll answer it right now. What are the best sources for keeping up with weekly lightning developments? Uh, go subscribe to the Bitcoin Optech newsletter. They have uh, lightning related information in there. Incredible uh, resource. And then uh, go to hive.one and uh, go to the Bitcoin section and just follow everyone on there because uh, quite a few of them will be either tweeting or retweeting uh, lightning related uh, developments. Um, and then, of course, like if you want to be really hardcore, go on GitHub and subscribe to uh, notifications for the different uh, Lightning implementations, um, LND and C Lightning and Async. Uh, but uh, I think that you'll get you'll get the gist of what's going on at a high level. Um, also, yeah, I don't know that you need to keep up with it on a weekly basis. I think that if you just read the release notes with every like uh, release that comes out that tells you what happened in the meantime, and those are about like every three or four months. Uh, that you can stay up to speed uh, without having to, um, yeah, overwhelm yourself with a fire hose of information. Yeah. Anyway. Well, Bitcoin Optext just once a week, and it's pretty quick. Yeah, quick yeah Bitcoin Optext is succinct, but they also do deep dives into interesting topics. So, Absolutely. Uh, and also, it's important to keep up to speed with Bitcoin developments, not just Lightning developments, because they do impact each other. All right. Bye, everyone. Hey, Jocko. What can we do with a coworker who isn't on board? When someone brings up something to him, he gets defensive and turns it into being everyone else's problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was a Twitter question, by the way. Sure. And, uh, and I answered it. And I answered it really simply, really straightforward. Take ownership of the problem and solve it. Take ownership of the problem and fix it. Yeah. Right? Because think about what's happening here, right? The, what the person is saying, like, oh, this is me saying, oh, Echo won't take ownership of the problem. And every time I tell him he does something wrong, he just gets defensive. Right. So, I'll, I'll, I mean, obviously, I'm not communicating with you well enough. If all I'm doing is blaming you and you're getting defensive. And by the way, if I'm the type of person that takes ownership of things, why am I blaming you in the first place? I should be looking at myself. I should be looking at myself. And by the way, if Echo, if you point your fingers at me and you say, hey, this is my fault, you know what I say? Yeah, I agree. It is my fault. And here's what I'm going to do to fix it. <laughs> now, I'm not going to rub it in your face. Mm. I'm not going to do it so I prove a point. That's not what I'm doing. I'm actually doing it because I want to win. I'm actually doing it because I want to accomplish the mission. That's why I'm going to fix the problem. Mm. Now, if we have a weak member of the team that doesn't take ownership, then guess what? It's my responsibility to take ownership of the problem and fix it. And eventually, but the good thing about this is if you make an excuse about something and I fix that excuse, and then you make an excuse about something else, I fix that one, and then you make an excuse about something else, and I fix that one, eventually there's no more excuses for you. Mm. And now you're left with what you can actually handle as echo with no more excuses to make. Mm. And then either you're capable or you're not. And by the way, guess what? As the leader, then it becomes my job to get rid of you if you can't if you cannot do the thing that I asked you to do or that you're supposed to do for the team. Yeah. So yeah, yeah because I mean eventually if you if if I keep stepping up and taking things away from you, there's not going to be any more excuses and you'll either end up with no responsibility and therefore no value and then you have no job. That's the way it works. Now, let me ask you this. When is there a time 
that a subordinate does something and it's not the leader's fault. So, so think about this. And when something goes wrong with a team member, when is it not the leader's fault? So, if you got a machine gunner and the machine gunner shoots outside of his field of fire, clearly he didn't pay attention during the brief. That's the problem. If I have a machine gunner that engages non-hostile targets, it's the machine gunner's fault because he didn't do improper, he, he did improper positive identification of his targets and engaged f- friendlies or, or at least non-hostiles. So that's the machine gunner's fault. Or the machine gunner's weapon goes down because the machine gunner didn't clean, it's his fault because he didn't clean his weapon, maintain his weapon properly, the machine gunner's fault. So all those things. The machine gunner shoots out of his field of fire. The machine gunner engages non-hostile targets. The machine gunner's weapon goes down. All those are the machine gunner's fault. Clearly. Or maybe not so clearly. Because here's how I would look at those things. Because by the way, when I point, if you're my machine gunner and I put my finger at you and start yelling at you and telling you that you did something wrong, obviously we know what happens. You start making excuses and blaming other people and, and you don't, accepting responsibility because you get defensive and that's what people do so for me and what a good leader does is a good leader when the machine gunner shoots out of his field of fire the leader says oh you know what i didn't explain the fields of fire clearly enough for you i'm sorry i'll fix it machine gunner engages a non-hostile target then the leader says, hey, I should have given you better training on target identification. We will go back and fix that. Or the machine gunner's weapon goes down. It means that, I, hey, as the leader, you know what? I should have done a better job inspecting weapons. I should have explained how important the maintenance was. That's my fault. I won't let it happen again. So even in these instances where it's real easy to blame the, the individual, a good leader, instead of blaming the individual, will take ownership of the problem. That's what you do, and that's what's going on in this case. You got a coworker that's not on board and, and just gets defensive and turns it into everyone else's problem. That's right. Grab ownership of those problems. And by the way, the, the, the subordinate that's not taking ownership, that's your fault as a leader. And the way that you get someone to take ownership isn't by saying, hey, don't get defensive. You need to take ownership of this problem. It's your problem. That doesn't make people take ownership. Here's the tricky part. Here's the black belt situation. The black belt situation is if I want you to take ownership, instead of blaming you, I'm going to take I'm going to take ownership of the problem. I'm going to relieve you of that. And now you're going to go, wait, wait, no, 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 wait, that, 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 no, I should be able to fix that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, boss. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Jocko. I should have shot my, I shouldn't have shot outside the field of fire. I need to pay better attention during the brief. If I don't know what it was, I'm going to ask questions next time. Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Please let me get it fixed. Mm-hmm. And that is how you get someone to take ownership. You don't get people to take ownership by telling them to take ownership of things. Yeah. And there's a little dichotomy mm-hmm. here too. Because if it's a plan, then the way I get you to take ownership of it is by saying, hey, Echo, come up with a plan. Like we talked about the standard operating procedures earlier. If I come up with the standard operating procedures myself and then I force them onto you, you don't take ownership of those. Those are mine. 
So I have to give you ownership. But when it's a negative, so when it's a positive thing, I give it to you. When it's a negative thing, I take it. Mm. I take it. Positive thing, give it. Because people want that positive thing. Yeah. When it's a negative thing, they don't want it. You take it from them. Right. And by the way, when it's a positive thing and you give it to them, guess what they want to do with it? They want to share it. They want to yeah. do it. Yeah. When it's a negative thing and you forced on them, they want to get rid of it. Yeah. So there you go. I'm glad that this person's in the game and now they know how to handle this coworker and make it into a good situation.